You're listening to Errol Parker and Clancy Overall, editors of the Batuta Advocate on Desert Rock FM. Welcome back to Batuta Advocate Radio Show, recording live here in Desert Rock FM studios. You're joined by myself, Clancy Overall, editor of the Batuta Advocate, and of course, Errol Parker, editor at large. What's going on, Errol? Look, mate, not a lot. Just looking forward to this week's interview, mate. I'm keen to learn a few things. Yeah, learn a few things about yeah. a, an era particularly, that we weren't really necessarily close to, no. and, and a lot of characters that you know we've never met. But today's guest has met them all, and he's done it all, and uh, he's got quite a story to tell. Today's guest is a rapper, musician, raconteur, storyteller. I would definitely gas you up on that. Mm. Dancer, you reckon? Yeah, never. <laughs> never. <laughs> never. And, uh, you ever catch me on film dancing? Delete it, brother. I'll be coming after you. And I, I, I guess, too, maybe a bit of an educator. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's, there's a few things that I've learned about about things that I never thought I would look about or, you know, just from looking at your uh, at your videos. You know? Yeah, that's it. Some good knowledge. Yeah, yeah. I, I am an unin- unintentional educator, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I see it. And that's usually what happens when there's a story to tell. And we've seen it time and time again, you know, particularly in the literary world, when um, there's, there's something that just drops on the table and it's, it feels like something that was so close to you but so far away. And that's basically your story, Spanion. Thank you for joining us today and um, let's have a yarn. Sweet, let's go. Now, Spanion, the first thing I want to kind of talk about is you've just released a book, Hood Life Unfiltered, yep. Spanion. Mm-hmm. You go by one name. Is that a is that something that's that's not a stage name? That's just a name you've picked up in your travels as a you know kid growing up in inner city Sydney. Yeah, that's my street name. Yeah, that's a name I've had since I was uh, fourteen. Since I think it was the sec first or second time I went to boys' homes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got that name because um, being in uh, like from a minority that isn't like represented well in obviously. Well, first of all, my background's Spanish. I'm half Spanish, right? Yep. That's mm-hmm. why I look the way I look. Mm-hmm. So when I went to boys' homes, someone asked me, because either they're tossing up, is he Turkish, is he Lebanese, mm. the, the more common yep. nashos, yeah, you know? Yeah. And if you are someone of a more common nasho where there's four or five of you at a time, you can't be called by that because you yeah. can't say, hey, Lebanon, because then yeah, everyone yeah. will look, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the way it is in jail, the way it is in boys' homes, and even in the street, is that if you're of uh, like a peculiar background, if you're yeah. Spanish or Colombian or Jamaican or from Denmark, yeah. you just get called that. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? So yeah, someone yeah. there's Spaniard. Yeah. To, to, to be honest, originally it was Spaniard. Yeah. Like, you know, the Spaniard isn't a Spanish person. Spaniard mm. with a D yeah, is a yeah, Spanish yeah. person, right? And it was Spaniard. And for actually like a year or two, I don't remember precisely, I've referred to myself as Spaniard. So that's it. So I got that name in boys' homes, come out to the streets. I go, that's it. That's my name. If it's my boys' home name, then it's my street name. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I call myself Spaniard. But then I just learned how generic Spaniard is Mm -hmm. and how much it associates with me with Spain. And I'm not from Spain. I'm Australian. I'm full-blown Aussie. Yeah, I'm full-blown Aussie. From I grew up, born in Camperdown Hospital. My parents are born here. Like, I'm full Aussie. You know what I mean? Um, So then I start watching like the Gladiator, that's Spaniard. Then they're Mm -hmm. talking about Rafael Nadal and the Spaniard. It's like, but I'm not being them. (laughs) I have to change it. Mm -hmm. So like, I wanted to change it enough where... It still sounds the same. It's like a not. It's not like you just give me a whole new name, but it's individual. Yeah. So I chuck the N on the end. Yeah, Spanian yeah. rolls off the tongue better. Yeah. And it's just me. There's no other Spanian. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. You never yeah. wrote. You never did any of that. Uh, you know. You know. You never put up panels. Never wrote. As far your name. as my graffiti life went, was tagging with 
a tech star on a cell wall. Yep. That's yeah, it. Yeah, that's it. I tagged many cell walls mm-hmm. this period. If you go any jail, you're, you might still see my name tagged up on one wall or scratched up in perspex on a on the clinic window or something like that. Yeah. But never like these people that take it as a culture, like walk around a sheet of the spray can. No way. <laughs> nah, 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 I was too busy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, speaking of Spaniard, Gladiator you mentioned. Yep. Sounds like there's two Spaniards from Woolloomooloo because uh, Rusty's down there on the wharfs. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> <laughs> Which brings us to my next point, where you're from. Yep. You said there you're born in Camperdown Hospital. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about you know your your life and where where you would call home, and I understand that's a fluid idea. You could actually call a few places home, right? So yeah, I was born in Camperdown, mm-hmm. Sydney City. The first areas I lived in is the Maryville Dulwichul area. So little little kid, five, six, seven, eight years old, running around there. Mm-hmm. I feel like at that age, where you grow up doesn't become a part of you mm-hmm. because you're you're home, you're home all the time. Yep. So it doesn't really matter where you grow up. When you start hitting the streets of a certain place and you pick up the mannerisms and the culture of that place, I feel like that is what makes you, you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When that age starts happening, 11, 12, 13, 14 years old, I had already moved to the Glebe area, Ultimo. Yeah. Yeah. Right? You've yeah. got City West Flats, which is, uh, it's like a privatized, subsidized housing sort of thing in uh, Ultimo uh, near Broadway Shopping Center. And so I feel like that's where I got my culture my ways from so i would say i'm from sydney city yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely i would not never if someone asked me i'd never say oh yeah i'm from maryville yeah, yeah i don't yeah. know nothing about it you know what i mean i mean it's just the, the tattoo on your chest also is a good indication of, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. The Mulli- yeah and out of all to say like mullamaloo wasn't even the first place i hung around so obviously moving to glebe i went to glebe high it was obviously glebe then it become waterloo redfern then it become mullamaloo Probably in like the third year that I lived in the city, maybe when I was like, say, 15 years old or something. And I just feel out of all the hoods in the city, you got to understand too, the hoods in the city, right? The, the entire city, which is made up of maybe 12, 13, 14 suburbs, mm. is probably the size of one Western Sydney suburb. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, like, so I can say, like, oh, but Ultimo, it's then there's it's three suburbs to Wollongong. Yeah, yeah. You go through Darling. It's one street. Yeah, it's yeah. like five minutes walk. You've walked through three suburbs. Yeah, yeah. So, really, if you think about it, if you're from one, you're from all. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. But most of my time, most of the ways I've been taught by the older boys, the emphasis on making money and um, a lot of my like street tactics, they come from the older Wollongong boys more than any of the other suburbs. So I feel like. And there is an individual culture to Woolloomooloo. It's not much different, but, you know, all the little suburbs in the city are a little bit different. I, f- I just, yeah, felt the most at home there. That's why I, if you ask me specifically, I'll say, yeah, I'm from Woolloomooloo. Yeah. But anyone else, I'll say, I'm from Sydney City. Yeah. You know, yeah. Well, then we, we, we get to this, um, you know, everything's informed by where you're from and, and, and where you're at. Um, your name, your suburb, your tats. Mm-hmm. You said the older boys in Woolloomooloo and Redfern taught you how to make money. Now, this is all in the book. This is a, this is a past life. Mm-hmm. How would you make a bit of money growing up in those areas? Me specifically or everyone? Well, you, what did you learn and all what right. helped you? So, I started out, as soon as we learned how to steal, steal cars, mm-hmm. the door was open to breaking in us. Mm-hmm. The first way I started making, as soon as we learned how to steal cars, the only cars we could steal were, so this was around the year 2000, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And we were stealing any Ford or Mazda 
So that like war- sounds like an AU Falcon. Not Falcons, though. Yeah, yeah. All right. So Ford Telsters, Ford Lasers, Mazda 323s, Mazda 626s, RX-7s, MX-6 Turbos. Those cars are like sister cars of each other. I think they're from the same yeah, company. Yeah, yeah. They had this ignition that you could easily pick apart with a flathead screwdriver. Anyway, one of the older boys taught us how to steal that. The world opened up. Anywhere there were computers, we'd break into it, we'd steal it. That was the first way that I was making money. You, you wrote you yeah. write in your book, the moment the older boys taught you how to steal that certain ignition that certain yep. car with that certain make you never caught the bus again yeah that's it <laughs> true true <laughs> never like, I'm not going to exaggerate I swear I tell people like there'll be days uh, me and my like uh, so me and Columbia would still like we'd just go hard out we'd still like four or five cars a day yeah. we'd steal a car because it ran, a new car because the old one ran out of petrol we didn't, we didn't drive like, you know, conservatively. So, they, yeah, yeah. so a 93 Ford Laser would overheat after five minutes of my driving. As soon as smoke comes out, still the next one we see because it's so easy. Yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, definitely no buses. Yeah. It's just you wake up, you steal a car and you get on with the day. Yeah. yeah. So can you talk us through, like, say you, you came across like, like a 1999 Ford Laser. What's the process that you'd go through like is it the screwdriver in in the door lock first and then whack and then screwdriver twist? in the door lock yeah and lever it upwards yeah that would lift the little lock thing inside yep. on the door doors open that takes about i don't know averagely that'll take about seven eight seconds then it's um the ignitions are made out of aluminium really weak aluminium yeah, yeah. and it's just a matter of peeling off the layers that expose the barrel and then levering at the barrel. It's just as simple as that. So you, there'd be this, like, the bigger outer shell pops off. It's simply put a flathead screwdriver in it, push down, it pops off. They pop off like lids, like off a, like past yeah, the source. Yeah, they yeah. just pop off, <laughs> yeah. Then there'd be another, like, it'd, it'd just be like three of those. Yeah. Then there'd be this little pin. You have to lever the little pin out. Then you can, with your finger, pull the entire barrel, which is the the key shape yep. on it the barrel yep, yep, and yep. once you pull the barrel out anything can turn the yeah, ignition yeah. and the good thing about that is the best thing about that is is that it's one of the only ways to steal a car that you don't have to break the steering lock yeah so any other ways you steal cars like say there's even other cars we could steal but we wouldn't so yeah still like vn commodores and uh hyundai excels they're very common to steal you know and because you're not going through that process because the the car doesn't recognize you starting it as the key because you're like going underneath to the wires. Yeah. The steering is still locked, mm-hmm. and breaking the steering sometimes takes like two or three boys. Like yes, yeah, legit. Yeah, yeah. And they're hanging outside, so they're hanging out like three in the morning. Yeah, yeah. In someone's driveway, <laughs> and they got like two feet on the steering wheel, and they're turning. It's very hard. Then all of a sudden, I would just go bang and then it's a lucky dip because sometimes you break the ste- you actually break the steering, steering yeah, yeah, and yeah. then it doesn't steer but so this this way had no you could do this in complete silence and that's yeah. the hardest part breaking the, the steering lock and you didn't have to do that so if your car didn't go missing in the inner suburbs of Sydney around the around the Olympics go, era, this yeah. is this is exactly what went down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. We want to talk to you now. You've got us. You've got our attention. I've read the book. You've, you've got the car. You're in the hot vehicle. You call mm-hmm. them hotties. Mm-hmm. That said, that opened a whole other avenue. Yeah. I mean, because you're not going to make any money off the off the vehicle you're in. No, no, no. You're not going to make money off the vehicle you're in. You're going to use that to to what you call it, pump up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's like just go and go and make money mm-hmm. because what, what what are you going to make on foot? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you can't carry stuff. 
can't really get away from anyone. Yeah. You can make money on food. Don't get me wrong. Like later down the line, I stopped doing that type of crime because I just don't, f- I feel like the risk to re- reward ratio isn't worth it. Yeah. yeah. And there is uh, um, much more quieter in the shadows on foot crime that I found out about down Wollamaloo. Yeah. But in these days, back up Wollamaloo, that um, as soon as done that, like the, the first like things we really targeted were anywhere that had Apple Mac computers. Yeah, so yeah. Like Bob so, Carr era, all those all yeah. those schools. Yeah, 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 yeah. So they, they were, I think they were called G3s. They yeah. were all see-through and they were just different colors, like see-through, yeah. lime yeah. green the and color, like- um, fat backs. The, yeah, those yeah. things, yeah. Like the computer in, um, in Zoolander. Yeah. Like, yeah, 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 like that. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so like, I, we just randomly got them one night and our, wouldn't say he's our mate, someone from school, his older brother seen us with him. He's like, oh, the, my friends will buy them. Like they were like, uh, really wanted. And I, I think we got 300 each for him, but we only had like three. Yeah. But Ram, like nearly any, just even schools, like even schools, like what kind of security do you really expect to be on a 2001 high school? None. <laughs> None. You can walk in, there's no motion sensors. Yeah. You literally lean and pressure pop a door Yeah. and the door will open. And then an alarm will go off that will take 20, 25 minutes for people to show up. And right in front of you on the desk will be maybe eight or 10 of these. Yeah. 300 yeah. each. Even if you grab five, $1,500 for a 14, 15-year-old kid. Mm. Mental. It's a lot of money. With almost no risk of getting done. The risk wasn't even in that doing that. The risk wasn't even in the breaking enter. The risk was in the being in a stolen car. Yeah. yeah. So it was more the worried about if the coppers see you in a stolen car because there's no one going to see you breaking into a school or yeah. something like that, you know? So what was your biggest haul when you were on the on the on the fat back Apple the first Apple computers? <laughs> I don't know if I talked about this in the book to be honest. Um <laughs> it's an exclusive. I'm gonna, I'm going to change the number to close to it, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh we got this is close. This is close. 10% near the number. We got uh, 28 laptops by chance yeah. out of a high school. You're talking back. You're talking back. What's my biggest haul in these days? No, no, no in an no, evening. No. Uh, but back in these yeah, days, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. in the future, it's much different. But back in <laughs> yeah, these days, yeah, we, we walked into a school and it randomly had the, a storeroom full of like laptops. So, yeah, so we got 28 of them with the chargers. And so we got, yeah, pretty so, good. Like, so, so you're 15, 15, grand, yeah. 15 years old. Yeah. Who are you selling this shit to? This is because that's another element of crime. You, this is on the streets, right? Yeah. There, there, there's tears and it goes yeah. bigger yeah. and bigger and like bigger. Like you can't keep going back to cash converters and being. <laughs> oh, like, no, 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 never. never <laughs> I've never sold a thing in my life to. Yeah, yeah. Every hood in the city has Vietnamese people that are more than willing to buy anything you yeah. buy. And it's limitless. Yeah. yeah, It's absolutely limitless. Like, I've seen older boys than me come back with so much stuff from their nights of searching yeah. when they would do like they do over um, big offices in Sydney City mm. they jiggle elevators and go to the to the top this is not something I've done this is the older boys that taught mm. me other stuff they'd go um, this was a thing in like yeah like late 90s early 2000s and they'd go jiggle elevators and they'd come back with like 50 grand worth of stuff and those Vietnamese people would have the money to produce that it's like yeah I'll give yeah, you yeah. 38 grand the boys would walk off 38 grand and they just have a room full of like like, like an office yeah. and then yeah. I don't know what they used to do if it yeah, they used yeah. to send it back to Vietnam or something yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you know. well it's it's almost like it's it's at its essence a victimless crime because really the only people who are losing out are the you know the kids of some yuppie and the, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and the state government you yeah know, so. and even those kids would be losing out very temporarily they'd <laughs> yeah, be replaced yeah. quick smart especially yeah, around yeah. the eastern suburbs where we were doing it <laughs>
Yeah, so that that's an interesting thing. Now, no one really looks at, at the inner city of Sydney mm-hmm. or a lot of these cities. Melbourne still has quite a very visible kind of inner city thing going on just because the... They never really... Uh, yeah, there's a lot of people live in the lot, city in Melbourne. And there's right? a lot more suburbs really? in Melbourne too yeah, because, yeah. you know, they don't have a harbour in the middle of it. So they've yeah, got yeah. all these suburbs. But it's it's nowadays it's kind of hard to envision young kids getting around, you know, with the keys to the kingdom themselves, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where does a kid like you go to school, you know? A house kid from inner city Sydney. Yep. Uh, there's not many, you know, public schools going around anymore. A lot of these kids now, it's, the gentrification's kind of pushed a lot, yeah. of, a lot of families out. Yeah, yeah. Or even back then, I really like. So I come to a stage because I got a, I got kicked out of Glebe High, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Living in Ultimo, the next school that I had to go to to accept me was Dover Heights. Right. Yeah. That's how that's how scarce the schools are. Yeah. yeah. So and that's out near Bondi, eh? Yeah, that's out near Bondi. Out near Malcolm Turnbull country, yeah. Yeah, it's <laughs> legitimately like- From Broadway 10, to Bondi. Yeah, 12 <laughs> suburbs yeah, in right. between. Yeah. Like 10, 12, <laughs> that's how far we'd have to go. So there would only really be Glebe High. And Glebe High always had this association with Leichhardt High. So if you kicked out of Glebe, you kicked out of Leichhardt. Mm. I did, they were sort of in yeah. a way, I don't know mm. what was going on, like- the teachers were like the same they kept teachers. Nuts. Something, yeah. So there was Glebe High, then there was Cleveland Street High at Redfern. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. Otherwise you're going to Dover Heights. Yeah. And Cleveland Street High being um as notorious as it can get. Mm. I was like, hey, no, you're not going to Cleveland Street High. Yeah, right. There she's that wasn't even an option. Yeah. She's like, There's no way I'm sending you to Cleveland Street High. Yeah, right. Like imagine going to Redfern High School in the year 2000 yeah, before the riots before the riots before that yeah yeah, yeah, it was like, yeah I don't mean. <laughs> so that wasn't even an option so i was catching a train and bus to um yeah to, to the very city, end yeah. of the eastern suburbs yeah yeah <laughs> up on the cliffs yeah city yeah. views yeah yeah it's a bad place to go to school and surprisingly i wasn't the only one so there's two schools over there which are now combined into one they've become rose Bay secondary college it was vaucluse high and dover heights high yeah and there was like plenty of kids from waterloo and woolloomaloo going mm-hmm. to those yeah and because of similar situations yeah yeah it's not wild that they had a high school there you know yeah in the middle of nowhere yeah mm-hmm. uh, which one um, up at Vaucluse. Oh, Vaucluse, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah you just associated with grandmas, elderly Jewish yeah, yeah. mansions. Yeah. And- yeah. It was really in the middle of no. And considering that Dover Heights is just down the street and yeah, was a yeah. massive school, mm. this was like right at the end, near, right across from the graveyard. It doesn't exist anymore, I don't think. But yeah, it was a pretty random school. Yeah. Now we talk a little bit just then about gentrification, right? Obviously, something that you know, spending as much time as you have inside boys' homes and prison, coming out, you would see the changes because you'd have the before and after, like a lot of people don't have. You yeah. know what I mean? If you're living in a suburb and it changes gradually, you, you notice it definitely yeah. not as uh, noticeable not as, as something yeah, of like that. What do you find, what has been like the biggest shock to you coming out and looking at the city now that you used to steal cars in and break into right. buildings? Uh, and- what I, the, the, the biggest shock definitely wouldn't be a visual thing yeah. or a physical thing. It's definitely yeah. a cultural thing. Mm-hmm. It's definitely yeah. a cultural thing. It's like it went from, in two generations... So the, the age gap of maybe, I, would, I don't know how generations actually work, the age gap of 10 years. So it went from people who are my age now, 35, to I look to, to the people that are 25 now. Everything that Sydney City was, in all the crazy ways that you would ever hear, in all, all the sad ways that you would ever see, is, was completely gone. Yep. They, they, the the yeah. people don't even talk the same. Yeah. And I'm talking like it's the same families. Yeah. It's the same kids of the same families that have always been here. But they're just completely different. Like Wardloo, Redfern, Glee, Woolloomooloo, especially like 
it went from like the, the 70s was absolutely crazy the 80s was like all the bank robbers were from Glebe and this and that the <laughs> 90s was the worst of the worst you walked down Redfern or Glebe and you thought you was Mad Max Yeah, you know what I mean police yeah. wouldn't even go through those places it was crazy yeah. things on fire and 2000s the same but then just all of a sudden it's just like snapped yeah, yeah they just they they just well, it's good i'm not saying it's bad yeah, right? yeah. but it's compl- it's completely gone yeah yeah well i guess you know i think most of it changed down in sydney when they uh, got the olympic games yeah. and they were like look we can't have a bunch of tourists hopping off at redfern yeah, and just yeah. Immediately having their cameras <laughs> relieved of them, stolen yeah, from yeah, them, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hand over their passport and yeah. their wallet. Do you reckon, like a lot of um, what you're saying, changed around the time of the of, of the Olympic Games? Uh, like, police say, blitzes, and yeah. Stuff no, I'd like say that. a bit. Uh, I'd say, look, the the nineties, which is when I was a kid, too young to participate, but have visual yeah. memory of, was definitely worse than two thousands. The two thousands was very much. I would say up until during the Olympics, it was definitely the same old city. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I would say up until about 2005. That's when, like, say, 2000, when I got out once in 2006, seven, mm-hmm. that was it. That was it. Yeah. Oh, you know what I feel like my honest explanation is? The coppers, they just got too good. Yeah. All right. They just got too good. Like, there was. Well, the technology changed too. Like, I could yeah. see you yeah. all too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And. <laughs> It, it's it's natural that they're gonna they're gonna win because yeah. these are people that's their job. Yeah, they're healthy minded people with a crazy budget and technology to fight yeah. us yeah. who are just like half the time we can't see straight. So yeah. like, how are they not gonna win? <laughs> mm. I'm surprised they didn't win for all that time. But it yeah, it got to the point like say in like say 2001, 2002, even 2003, you could do almost anything and get away with mm-hmm. it. Almost anything. So what like, would you say some of the most brazen shit you've seen? Like like not, not even crime like or heist or anything like that. Like the, I read in your book where you guys get inside a car dealership. Yep. And you have basically the place to yourself. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm reading this. I'm reading your book. I'm like, oh, this has gone in 60 seconds. This is yeah. going to be on a fuck. This is going to be in cargo ship. This is going to be in, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is going to be in containers down in Port Botany. They're yeah, going to be yeah, sending yeah. them off to fucking wherever. <laughs> and then you guys just basically steal one car to bash the gate open yeah. and then steal whatever the coolest car is you can find yeah, each yeah, yeah. and then pinball them around the city until they're like burnt out and you just leave them. That's it. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's it. It was just fun. Yeah, yeah, it, was, it was, yeah. Um, wasn't a big thing. It was just another yeah. night. Yeah. <laughs> What was it like to get caught the first time? Well, the first time I got arrested was in weird circumstances. I was after the school siege. So it wasn't really like I got caught for stealing and this and that. It was yeah. after that big school siege that I'd done in um, Dover Heights. Yep, yep. So it was all like uh, adrenaline all over the place. and So this is real teenage shit that. too. You were yeah, running yeah. around with knives and, yeah, yeah, and yeah. playing up in school. Yeah. So that was your first time you got, a, you got given your number? Nah, well, yeah, in, in, in juvie, you do get numbers. They're mm-hmm. not the same numbers as, as jail. Mm-hmm, you get yeah. different jail. But, yeah, that was the first time um, I got locked up and went I- into any type of detention. What was it like? It was a spin-out. It yeah. was definitely a spin-out. Being so young, I can't remember I was, 14, barely 15, something like that. I think it was 2001. It was a spin-out because you got no idea what it is, you know what I mean? And you yeah. get to juvie and it's like... Everyone was healthy and big and muscly and 
you're with like it might not seem like a lot for three years difference, four years difference, but when you're 14, 15 and you're with healthy 18 year olds, yeah. it's like you're locked in a cell with grown men. Yeah, it is. You know what I mean? It's like full difference. So yeah. it's like you got to learn how to not get bashed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? You got to learn yeah. how to not get bashed. Yeah. So where would you say you learnt those skill sets? I and mean, obviously you got the street smarts from just being on the ground, mm-hmm. but you know you've got to, to to be where you are, to be alive, to be out and about, yeah. and to have lived the life you've lived. You need to know how to you know throw down or how to you know yeah how to punch on and how to fucking de-escalate as well. Also yeah. another skill. Where did you reckon you learn all that? Did you learn that inside? Um, you know when it comes to my my method when it comes to dealing with what you what you just referred to as beef. Mm. I don't have much time for beef, mm-hmm. right? I'm, I avoid beef, mm-hmm. really, right? It was never my thing to walk around as it was never anyone's thing. This, this is a very different culture in the city. We're not a we're not a culture of people walking around as tough people, mm-hmm. like we're not. You know what I mean? We're a, we're a culture of people that can make money in the streets and steal better than anyone. Mm-hmm. We're culture starters in style, and if it, if beef gets too far, we're we're known to to stab and. Mm-hmm. And you know, sneak go people and stuff like that. Because the way we view it is that the way I particularly view it too is that um, we're not in tough guy contests. Yeah. Like you're in one life, and we need circumstances that we were put into, not by choice. Yeah. And you, you get one life to live. Yeah, yeah. And we don't care much about that old Australian way. It's like, ah, uh, you know, that fair go one on one. It's yeah. like you go toe to toe. Don't do this. Don't do that. Whatever anyone anyone has this cultural idea of what a, a tough guy does in the streets, we do not care. <laughs> I don't care what you think. I don't care if you think I'm tough. Like, yeah. but I'm not going to start a fight with you. Yeah. If you start a fight with me and it's unavoidable, I will do anything to you, and you don't have to be looking. But whose fault is that? Yeah. yeah. But but th- that's the way we look at it. Whose fault is that? It's like you may say to me. You may say to me, but how can you hit someone when they're not looking? Yeah, how yeah. can you use a weapon? That's yeah. putrid. That's a low act. No. What's putrid and what's a low act? You're starting fights with people that don't want to fight you. Yeah. And then getting hit when you're not looking because you weren't staying on your toes and yeah. then blaming people for not following your rules. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what stupidity is. Yeah. This is real life. Mm. People die from one punch. So yeah. the way we've seen it in the streets is we're not out. It's not a boxing match. Yeah. You want to box? Go be a sportsman. Yeah. This is the streets. Mm-hmm. I'll run you over. I'll stab you. I do not care. So you reckon you went in as a like you know when you first time there the Sydney siege you get you get pinched and you went in. Do you reckon you already had that in you or you had a lot to learn? Yeah. Ah, so it was it was all oh, yeah. Well, look mm. at the first thing I got locked up for yeah. is chasing everyone around for <laughs> knives. So yeah, it was yeah. In the siege. So I would say it was there and, and it developed more and more. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it did. So, how would you not get bashed upon your arrival incarceration? I mean, like as as you were saying before, uh, in boys' homes, yeah, when yeah, you're young, yeah. like, like yeah, is, just stay is out of people's ways. Yeah. Um, don't express your opinion too much because mm-hmm. uh, you'll be challenged. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I say that's good enough. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's it's not to the extent where you would let people do anything to you. Yeah, right. That's that's it. Doesn't go that far. You're not yeah. a pushover, but you just kick back and do your thing. Yeah. Until you're strong enough to accept any challenge and then speak your mind. Yeah. I've always just shut yeah. up. How is your alleged offence perceived by your peers upon arrival in the boys' home? Like, uh, not, many were they like- not many knew. Not many knew. I remember one of the older boys said, um, he goes, Anthony. And I looked at him and I go, yeah, bruh. And he goes, was that you on the news at that school thing? <laughs> and I said, yeah, yeah, bruh, that was me. And he goes, fuck, you're just young. 
And I said, yeah. And he goes, I thought that was like, you look big on camera, like an, like you were older. I said, no, it's just me. <laughs> and he goes, fuck. And that's, he thought I was funny. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No one else had a clue. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. yeah but not, not a lot of people know what you're in for. And mm -hmm. you know what? It's like I found in juvie, no one even cares what you're in for. In jail, there's a lot of talking. Is that because about, yeah. you think a lot of the kids are getting a lot of kids are getting away from something just by being there in, in, in the first place, or do you think it's like no one really has a hierarchy of what is and isn't, you know, a crime worth talking about? Uh yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, that you know what to to try to explain it would be hard. Yeah, I don't know the reasoning, but I just remember like you would never be in juvie talking about like I got done for this I got done for that or he got done for this and yeah. in jail it's a bit like that yeah, yeah. you know what I mean in jail it's a bit like that to the extent that it goes is that I remember being at Baxter once and there were um, two we didn't know till after but this is just how blase we are to it there were two uh, kids there with us roughly my age that were two of the kids that were involved in the the rapes in the yeah. gang rapes, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. So his co-offenders that were yeah, juveniles yeah. were in juvie with us, yeah, and they were just treated like normal people. They were yeah. like in the wing with us, the youth workers, like they weren't in protection, and and these people were measly. These two lads I'm talking about were absolute gronks. Like, yeah. me, if people knew, but like, it's so blasé that we didn't even know that these were the two famous. Two of the famous gang rapists. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But in jail, you'd know straight away. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Impossible to not know. Yeah, and yeah. those guys don't go in. No, of course jail. not. <laughs> no, no, no. No, oh, well, they got their place. Yeah. 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 They got their place. Yeah. And we'll just end it there. That concludes part one of the Spanian interview with the Batuta Advocate. It's been long awaited, and we're very excited that we got the man in the booth. You can tell he's got a magnetic energy, and it's no surprise as to why he's become such a countercultural icon in Sydney and across Australia. It's all detailed in his new book, The Unfiltered Hood Life, Spanion. Now stick around for part two of this interview where Spanion delves into his life and times in and out of jail as an adult back on the streets and the different crimes he got caught up in as he grew a little older in the harsh inner city streets of Sydney, which as he has explained, have changed a lot in the last 10, 20 years. 